Good evening, dear listener. Grab yourself a nice drink. Put your feet up. Lie back. Close your eyes and relax. After all the ecstasy and joy of the season finale, as in us winning the FA Cup and the Red Scouts being comprehensively outplayed by Real Madrid and yet somehow convincing themselves that they were cheated out of the Champions League, we thought we'd take a deep, very deep breath and wait until you, the dear listener, were zigzagging your way through the boredom and pain, occasionally glancing up through the rain, wondering which of the buggers to blame. And watching for pigs on the... Oh, look, I'm sorry, I've gone into a bit of Pink Floyd lyric there. Welcome. Pigs on the wing. <laughs> yes. Welcome <laughs> to the podcast of choice for those who happily live with the cognitive dissonance that supporting Chelsea FC brings to everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, lords and ladies, cats and dogs, it is the podding shed. Our last episode was in April, and although this is now mid-June, in my own twisted logic, I'm going to call this edition the May episode. Yes, folks. Despite the move to a monthlyish frequency, we still pod when we want. Tonight, despite their gameful employment doing stuff that really is important, I have mentioned uh, I've managed to assemble a glittering lineup who are ready to boil piss, blood, and even themselves to bits just to bring you the view from the front line. These are the fans that go to the games that run the full gamut of emotions from joy to heartbreak in order to joust with each other verbally and to offer educated and ill-educated opinions, fact and fake news, an insightful and speculative bullshit comment for all of your enjoyment. All for no reward. Aside from the warm thrill of confusion, that space cadet glow, I've got some bad news for you, sunshine. Pink isn't well, he stayed back... Oh, I've gone into Floyd again. Anyway, (laughs) also, tonight we persevere with the discussion format that we've gone into in the last couple of episodes, uh, rather than match reviews. Although, we were some words on the FA Cup final, which was, of course, a welcome trophy in what might have been a very, very dry year. This is episode 93, um, and the episode is as yet untitled. But, of course, our D-leader and promoter, Nick... Our very own version of Rodan's Thinker will devise something devilish, dirty, damning, dramatic or even desperate with which to title the episode. So let's crack on and start by introducing tonight's Podding Shed Glitterati. Starting with me, of course, I'm Tony Glover, also known by my Twitter handle as GrocerJackUK. And for tonight, I'm going to try and be the John Burkow of the night to try and keep the rest of the rabble in control and intervening with smart-ass comments when relevant and maybe some bullying and innuendo, allegedly, for any lawyers listening out there. <laughs> so I was going to introduce Donal first, but he's not joined yet, so I'm going to introduce... I am uh, here. Oh, you are here. Hello, Donal. I do apologise. My word. My word. I do apologise. We started anyway because we weren't sure whether you'd forgotten or what. But, uh, uh, and I How yes. could I Gotta forget. Precisely, I do apologise. The um, highlight of my life. Yes. Being on here. So, well, let me introduce you. Let's introduce our man of music and off-piece threads, a man who thinks whilst Rome burns. Please welcome Donal, aka Doctor Underscore Blue Bio. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I am posing here this evening as the man who thought Saudi Arabia were going to win the World Cup, <laughs> and Daniel Hannan was a political. Giant. So <laughs> I'm just going to slip away for two seconds because I've got to go and get something that I've forgotten. Yes. I won't be long. Okay. Well, you, ca- you carry on and talk I'll, amongst yourselves. Yes, I will carry on with the intro. So uh, next, and after a brief sojourn from his now regular starting place, we have back from New York. He alleges, but I suspect 
He's been pulling strings in Singapore with no-nonsense no translation services between Orange Man and Little Rocket Man. Someone not scared to use rational thought and opinion as his tool of choice with which to defeat the stupid, the moronic and the trolls. Please welcome back Martin Wickham, also known on Twitter as at Martin underscore Wickham. Evening, Martin. Um, evening, all. Uh, my body clock is saying afternoon because it's still <laughs> three o'clock. <laughs> what is that? Is that Singapore time? Is that is that uh, Pyongyang oh, time? Oh, no. No, um, <laughs> no um, it's at literally 12 hours because... I was in New York while the negotiations were going on. Sub- ah, um, right. yeah. Ignore all the rumours. It was literally prime time TV of um, <laughs> trying to work out which of them was speaking the um, better English or not. A very, very strange experience. <laughs> did, you, did you actually hear Kim Jong Un when he spoke? He sounded like someone who who was on about eighty bloody <laughs> Navy cut per day. Oh, oh no, someone's got. Oh, yeah, but he actually sounded like you know that really gruff. His voice did not match the fat, chubby little prince that he puts himself over as but there you go um <laughs> finally and no not finally uh yes she's back she's delightful she's delectable dangerous and possibly drunk she's a historian novelist imbiber of all good things gin an all-round good egg please welcome the girl who loves ball ball what do you mean she's filming Oh, well in that case then, in true have I got news for you fashion, as she can't make it, I've replaced the lovely Alexandra Churchill, aka at CFCGWLB on Twitter, with a bottle of Hendrix gin in honour of her. Don't know if you can hear that, that's me chinking the bottle of gin. So she'll sit there for the rest of the show. And finally, <laughs> and finally, that is torturous, isn't it? Just and, and I'm the jet lagged one. Yeah. And finally, this is a huge Brucey bonus. After his stunning performance on the show earlier in the season, and some time away, now rested and recharged from doing the marvellous Chelsea fancast, of which myself and Miss Hendricks, as we shall now call her, occasionally guest on. Amongst other duties as chair of the Supporters Trust and fitting in test match sessions, please welcome the effervescent Archbishop David Chidgey, a.k.a. at Stanford Chidge. Good evening, sir. Good evening, everybody. How are we? Well, oh, very think, well, thank you. Yeah, I think we're, we're all doing well, except for Martin, who's probably got cocktail sticks holding his eyes open and a straw, a straw in the bottle of um, what was it again? Bombay Sapphire East. Bombay <laughs> Sapphire East. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, basically, I was going through the duty free bleary on. I was with his blue bottle and looked at it and thought, sod it, that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> That's often the best way. That really is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so we've done the intros. Um, on to the football. And as we're now past the end of the season, we will still continue the conversation about the state of the Chelsea nation. So before we enter the realms of the murky football politics, or lack of them, um, I'm going to pose the question out to the three of you. And I think I'll start off with um, Martin. Um, Was the FA Cup victory over Manchester United enough to make it a successful season, despite the missed target of top four? Thrilling? Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's a strange. But the, the cup win on its own is a, was fantastic. Um, you know, it's a lovely, lovely day out mainly because I can walk home from Wembley Stadium. <laughs> right. About the rest of you, um, I'm all right, Jack. But, eh? Yeah, quite literally. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no. I'm not going to disparage the cup win because you know I'm old enough to, you know, it's a tradition. But um, in terms of overall success, the league target was missed so badly that it can't 
be ignored. It doesn't really fully paper over the cracks in that sense. I'm just puzzled as to what the hell happened between January and April. Because before that, we were doing, up until New Year, we were motoring along we very second, well. We were exactly. second more in New Year's Exactly, day. exactly, mm. yeah. Um, and, you know, we'd also, a few months prior to that, one of the finest European performances off, certainly in recent memory, against Atletico Madrid in their in their backyard, and we beat them. So for it to just completely tail off the way it did and pick up a little bit in April and then tank again at, you know, drawing it home to Huddersfield and that shocker up at Newcastle, um, that can't be ignored. Mm. And as satisfying as the cup win was, you know, the overall you know KPI, if you like, for any Chelsea manager is you make the Champions League and unfortunately missed out on that. Chidge, your view. Are we? Uh, is the top four above everything else, or are you a traditionalist like me who thinks you know a cup is a cup? It's still the second biggest trophy in the country, or or, or what? And, and I take what you're saying, Martin, and, uh, and whatever. But um, I just just your view on that one, Chidge. Well, <coughs> excuse me. I don't. I don't think it's black and white, mate. You know, much as we would like it to be. You know, like you. I absolutely treasure winning trophies. I don't, don't even, you know, I don't care what they are. But I mean, the FA Cup to me is still a, a very big trophy, and something that that uh, you know we should aspire to win every season. So I go home at the end of the season quite happy having won the FA Cup. I mean, it's bizarre, you know. I, I talked to some some blokes I know in the pub, uh, all Southampton fans, funnily enough, and I haven't seen them for like six months for various reasons. And they said, oh, you must be really pissed off and disappointed with, with, you know, Chelsea's season. And I said, well, what are you talking about? We were fifth and we won an FA Cup and you nearly got relegated. So you t- <laughs> t- t- tell me how disappointed I am compared to you. you know. Were you I- sipping on your latte at the time? <laughs> no, I, I was definitely frothy, though, Donald. <laughs> but, um, or frothing at the mouth, probably more to the point. But, I mean, you know, look, the point is, whether we like it or not, um, in the in the horrible football world that we now live in, it is it is it is so important that the club finishes in the Champions League because it absolutely underpins everything about their business model. And again, you know, I hate it. I'm sure as much as you lot do that this is how football is, but this is how football is. And the Champions League puts a lot of money in their pocket. It puts, uh, you know, enables them to go and attract decent players and decent managers. And I'm not having this argument. Oh well, you know, we still get decent players even if we're not in the Champions League. It really does matter, and it matters to the development of the club. And I think, as I'm sure we'll talk about later, mm. you know, given the uncertainty that we find ourselves in, particularly financially, um, you know, not being in the Champions League could prove to be a very a very unhelpful blow but in terms of an emotional reaction i don't really care you know i i'm i'm, I'm much more interested in about winning trophies and i was well chuffed that we won the fa cup donald does you think this means uh and i'll, I'll take your your views on the on the 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 fifth and the, and the cup as well but um do, does that revelation that you just had from martin and from chid you know that the, the top four is a KPI, it's a target, we, you're supposed to hit it. Does that mean we can no longer take the piss out of Arsenal or Spurs for their trophyless, barren seasons, and maybe even Liverpool to a degree, because they finished in the top four? Do we now have to accept that that is the sign of a successful season? Um, listen, chaps, I'm sitting here in the 
People's Socialist Republic of Hackney. <laughs> and just across the border, just across the borderline there, as Rai Kuda would have it, is <clears throat> is the uh, other People's Socialist Republic of Islington. And obviously therein reside um, the, uh, uh, the Gooners. And, um, you know, I come onto a podding shed or I sit down, I take my place in the old creaky potting shed, thinking to myself, I can turn my back on the whinging latte drinking gooners who surround me and, and, <laughs> and comfort myself that I'm amongst proper, proper footballing men, in brackets, women, obviously. <laughs> she, she hasn't turned up. So it, it is... Uh, oh... We've, we lost his own. Donald, come back. Oh, Donald. Is it just me, or is that sounding like a dog? No, he's, he's it sound, been, it he's sounds been, like an eighties video game. Nah. No, he's, he's been he's been he's been abducted by uh, you know the weirdos from Islington. Oh, I think. Yes, I think I think someone's momentum have raided his house. Or something. Yes, I, I think I'll. I'll um, uh, uh, he's Donald. been Corbin. Yes, if you can hear us, Donald. Um, Corbin off more to the point. We lost you after the first bit there, which was tragically sad. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna hang you. I'm gonna hang you up. I think. Are you still there, Chidge and Martin? I am. Oh, thank That'll God. That'll need an edit. Uh, yes, it will need. Well, uh, I'll leave that. I'll leave that to um to. Uh, so uh, you know, because I mean, yes. I know, I know you can edit this, but. You see, this is this is what I have to put up with every bloody week. It Definitely. drives me over yeah, the wall. I know. Um, I'm, I don't know whether he can actually join back in. I'm going to um, find out, um, or whether I have to kind of yeah, late join in. I reckon but, he um, will, mate. Um, what I'll do is I, I will I will move the conversation him. on to you two, um, so you can carry on. Um, so we come at the conclusion. It was interesting. I was wondering where he was going to go with that, and I, I got a rough idea. And we can, when we get him back on, I'll um, I'll let. Uh, reintroduced it because it's, he, he had me in stitches there uh, for a moment but um, uh, over the season just give me some positives for the team um, and talk about who deserves another crack and who should be shown the door either of you <laughs> I think that silence says it all. Doesn't it? I, I, Martin, I can hear the I can hear the wheels in your brain clogging round. They're going, yeah, they're going very slowly. I've got to say. Yeah. So I mean, I'll, I'll kick it off, and, and and you know, then Martin, because bear in mind, Martin's a man barely alive, having been on a ropey flight back, and have had you know being jet lagged and all. Uh, so I mean, are there positives? Well, yeah, we won an FA Cup. That's a positive. Um, goodness gracious me, what else is there? I mean, to, to be really honest, I don't think there are many. I really don't. Uh, I mean, Christensen is cited as, as a positive. I think that's true. Um, I think that, uh, I think that Rudiger's a positive. I thought that, that he really impressed me this season. He really stepped up, definitely. Yeah, he did, didn't he? You know, but I think, I think, look, you know, I think it's, it was a constant theme. I'm sure, sure the podding shed, uh, said this as much as the Chelsea fancast did throughout the season. You know, there was just an, a, an overwhelming sense of negativity about the manager, about the team, and about the club, pretty much from the first match when we lost to Burnley. And it, and it never really dissipated, in my view. I think a lot of it stems from uh, Conte's attitude. 
I think a lot of it stemmed from the players not putting it in on occasion. And I mean, you know, I, I've seen plenty of shit Chelsea sides, you know, who, who were rubbish, basically, and who deserved to get beaten. Um, but if they, you know, I can I can forgive a lack of talent, but what I can't forgive is a lack of effort. And we saw that on innumerable occasions. And I think the whole thing brought us all down a bit. But, you know, I'll go back to what I said earlier, you know, um, is it really as bad as it seems? You know, we, we, we nearly squeaked into fourth. We shot ourselves in the foot a bit, to be fair. So we didn't make it, but we weren't far away. Um, and I think actually the bigger issue is that a lot of the disappointment in the round is because when you compare it to last season and how good last season was, uh, you know, where we, we won 13 on the bounce, we looked a really, really cohesive team. Conte's leaping around like a lunatic, which we all love. We love the passion. I think if you compare it to that, it's always going to be a bit meh if you don't kind of match or exceed that. And I think I think a lot of the negativity is really down to that. But, I, you know, if you want to get granular about it, Tony, I, I, you know, I, I can't think of too many positives. And I, I feel like I'm sounding negative when I don't want to be. But I really can't bar, you know, bar Christensen and, and Rudiger, perhaps Cahill coming back into form towards the end of the season. That was quite pleasing to see. Um, I loved Oliver Giroud. Uh, he was an absolute surprise to me because I've always derided yeah. him as being a flaky, typical Arsenal, you know, wanker, basically. But I loved him. Yeah. I loved him. Yeah. He was more proper Chelsea than most of the players playing for us. So, so that, you know, it, it's not all doom and gloom. And there were there were encouraging things. There were positive things. But, I mean, I'm afraid it really, you know, there's a wonderful band that I used to like years ago called the Celebrate Rifles. And they had a wonderful song called The Turgid Miasma of Existence. <laughs> I, th- I think that I think oh, that sums yeah I think that they yeah it had a it had a lyric in it they had another song a lyric in it electric blue diarrhea check it out it's wonderful not the electric blue diarrhea the no. song <laughs> but um you know that kind of sums Chelsea's season up for me really the turgid miasma of existence indeed Donald are you back with us ah he's gone again he's gone he's again gone. he's gone again Good okay he must be he must be having technical issues um not to worry uh Martin um. Ins, outs, I don't know. Do you think anyone deserves another crack? Are you in agreement with Chidge on that? Because it sounded quite a reasonable summation for me. Um, you know, not much to write home about, and yet we still won a trophy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I happen to have a look at the first-team squad as it stands, using that, you know, ever-reliable source Wikipedia. <laughs> and as of, as at the 10th of June, there's like no ins and no outs yet, obviously. Um, I, You know, the players that have been mentioned... Positives, yeah, absolutely. If they want to stay there, have, let, let's have them next season. Um, the only players I can possibly think of who may move on, uh, Fabregas, I think he may um, he may be shifted, and possibly Morata. But that that requires us to have a replacement striker. We've got a load of loan players coming back. Are they going to get a chance? Um, I know we may talk about this later on, but so much. He's reliant on what happens next, indeed. Going I think, forward, yes. <laughs> with, yeah. With, well, going forward, though, you know who's coaching the team next season and what does he want to do? And until a clear decision and statement is made on that, the club resembles a bit of a ghost ship, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's really yeah. di- and uh, what are causes of I, in my view, because the club keeps such a you know monastic silence about the whole thing. And they don't make any statements. They just do nothing. And that's in place of any 
clear statement, you get speculation and half-baked crap coming through. And yeah. that's what causes in a lot of the um, well, nappy-shitting, for want of a better term, you get just people, you know, fretting about what's happening, are we finished, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, you know, a clear statement going forward. We're not going to get one, because that's not something that Chelsea do, but it would be nice for them to break with tradition. It's interesting. But, uh, sorry, Chris, go on. No, I was just going to follow up on that with Martin, because I, I, I agree with this massively and i i wrote a wrote an article for football london but kind of around the period when i was just about to go off to headingley and get very drunk so i'm not even sure if it went up i really hope it did because it even by my standards it was a bit of a belter but i i might you know what what people probably don't realize is i write my own titles for these articles and then a sub editor there makes up their own rubbish one but yeah. my my title was the mushroom shed end which i thought was a work of genius <laughs> because yeah. Because I basically said in the article, I said they should rename the shed the mushroom shed end because that's what it is. You know, yeah. it's the old kind of the mushroom shed syndrome where they feed you shit and keep you in the dark. dark yeah. Because that's exactly what this club does. And it's it's almost like a, a, a deliberate policy and strategy. And it comes right down from the top, doesn't it? And I said this in yes. the blog. Yeah. How many interviews has Roman Abramovich given? None. None. As far Absolutely as I know, none. none he has never, no, he's never said a word. He's never given a press interview. You know, he doesn't do what a lot of owners do, which is to kind of give the... I mean, you know, some might argue that's a good thing, considering what a lot of chairmen and the bollocks that they come out with say. Yeah. But, you know, he doesn't say a word, and I think it stems from there. And you have this, I, I think, a deliberate strategy of saying nothing, apart from the odd leak to the likes of Matt Law, or, or placed information, disinformation sometimes... And I think it's very, very frustrating for everybody. And it, and, it, and it feeds this frenzy in the media, which then feeds a frenzy in the people like us who read it. But here's the thing, and this is what was occurring to me. This is why I kind of thought I'd, you know, butt in, really. Um, I mean, Martin's a little bit younger than us, lucky sod. But, you know, old gits like you and me, Tony, mm. I remember 30, 40 years ago, you would hear nothing at all from the club or that about the club from the end of May when the season ended until the middle of August when it started, you would hear nothing. Yeah. There would be no reporting on it. You would you would bugger off. You wouldn't think about football for two months. You wouldn't see your football mates for two months. And you'd all meet back in the pub on the first day of the season. And, oh, we've signed him. Yeah. I didn't know that. You know, and suddenly there were about three or four new players. And that was the first you heard of it. Mm. And I think the that, beginning of the season. I, I go from the Mears to, to Bates. As well, I think I think it yeah. was always that kind of thing, and I think there's a. It just wasn't news, Tony. No, it wasn't That's news. The point. Do you think? Do you think that was a club decision, or was that more to do with the fact that the media at the time, yes, completely I, shut down football reporting yeah. for want of a. Yeah. I think it was a bit, of, a, a bit of both. I think. No, I, it, I don't think it was a bit of both at all, Tony. I think Martin's right. I think it. You know, there was just no appetite for it. There wasn't, I mean, Christ on a bike, there were three TV channels in those days. Yeah, yeah, true. You know, yeah. completely, that was it. BBC One, BBC Two, and ITV. So that's all you had. You had. You didn't even have Radio 5, let alone Talk Sport, and you certainly didn't have a 24-hour news cycle, not to mention the myriad of arse-wipery blogs. And, and I mean, I, look, I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm just as bad. I mean, Chelsea Fancast puts out all sorts of rubbish half the time, you know, because it's the business that we're in. Yes. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, you, you, it, you, speculation is part of it. It has yeah, to be because absolutely. we don't have that. You know, we have, we, have, we have blue squirrel, blue cheese, blue bollocks, whatever it is, blue flame. But you still, you know, you, 
and I think you're right. I think Jonathan Kidd and the Blue Flames. Yeah, I think actually what you do end up with though is you end up with this almost unquenchable, unquenchable thirst yeah. for Frenzy. for knowledge all of the time. You know, social media has fed that. It's been fuel on the fire of we need to know what's going on. And, and there's but I, th- I think I think it's the 24-hour news cycle that, yes. that created this. Yeah, I think. so. And I mean, having it. having worked in telly and media for a long time, you know, it, you know, you have to come up with content. And yes. if you've got to fill content in 24 hours, you know, you have to find any old content. And I think that's the point I'm making. 30, 40 years ago, you just didn't need to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was that simple. So there was no demand for it, no appetite for it, and therefore you didn't have to, you know, it wasn't your oxygen at all. No. The first the first you heard of something was when it happened. You didn't yeah. have all this nonsense with, I mean, uh, not a Chelsea example, but the um, Liverpool got Nabil Fekir, which, you know, was on and then completely shut down. Yeah. And yeah. similarly with, well, I think I mentioned it last week, the news about who Real Madrid have appointed as their new manager that name didn't come up on any of those no. um, blogs, no. which proves they know precisely fuck all about anything. But, but, they, but it doesn't matter. And I mean, without getting political about this, this is this is the world, the sinister world that we're living in now. Where yeah. I mean, it's all it's Orwellian, you know. Truth, truth or lies. You know, yes, it is. Yeah, fake, it is. Fake, fake news. It doesn't matter what the truth is or what no. the reality is anymore, because basically the whole industry, and this is also a massive change from 30, 40 years ago, which is what we were talking about, Tony. In those days, it was more public service related. Media was public service related. Now it's all advertising driven or more to the point in the internet. Retian values. Well, it, no, it's clickbait driven. Yeah. So basically, it doesn't matter what you write or what you say as long as some prick reads it and then spreads it. Yeah. And, and this is why you can get away with a fake yeah. news society and I these think days. I th- we've, we've seen so much of that. So as we move on into that, so, you know, if you think about it, in my view... Um, uh, you know, we we had a good squad last season. Something wasn't right, and and I, I I see the need for one or two changes, but nothing dramatic. I'm intrigued by who's coming back and and some of the chances that might be given. I think the big thing for me is you've got to get Hazard signature. I I, I think that that would be the biggest of all. Um, if we can, you know, but the fact is he's not going to sign if Conte's there. So everyone keeps saying, well, so, you, you know, exactly. But how, how do we know? Yeah, precisely. Um, so where are we manager-wise then? I mean, you know, ultimately, I've spent since the end of the FA Cup, um, and and you know, uh, even even the you know the lovely JK uh, Jonathan Kidd said it's going to be announced on Monday or Tuesday that Conte's off. Nothing. Nothing. Didn't say which week though. No, sure. <laughs> no, he doesn't. But you know, where are we mentioned? I mean, and who do we want? I mean, I've made it quite plain that I don't rate rate Sarri. I don't think he's anywhere near good enough for us. That's my personal view. Um, and and we know that uh, Loza White, uh, Laurent Blanc, was interviewed for something. We don't know whether it was for the manager's role or the director of football role. And I've, I've got to tell you now, I, I when I was on my cruise last week, I went to Pompeii. Uh, which of course is next to Naples, not Pompey, as in where where I live. Um, and uh, I was walking around in a. I've given up wearing, you know, the the football, Chelsea football shirts, but I think they're the um, t-shirts they do, the poly t-shirts that are made out of football shirt material, fantastic, lovely and comfortable, and you know, they wick lovely. And I've got a Chelsea badge on, and I'm walking around this expensive souvenir shop just outside the Pompey site, and this guy comes over to me, he's like. Oh, Mr. Chelsea, you want to buy something? And I went, look, listen, mate, I've honestly, you know, my missus has got the money over there, you know. And he said, oh, you, you are, you are stealing our manager. 
<laughs> are we? He said, yeah, it's necessary. And he, he, he went in for about five minutes telling me how wonderful the football was they played under Sarri. And do you know how he finished the conversation? And he said Look. this, he actually said these words, he went, but we win nothing. Yeah. <laughs> we win nothing. And I went, right. And so I was sort of saying, you know, I like Conti and all this, but I don't know what quite went wrong this season. So just get just getting your views, chaps, really, on where you think we are. Is is it seems ninety percent certain it's Sarri one day, then it's not, and then you know, we and again, this links back beautifully into this um almost Kremlin like um, and I, I do mean that as well. That I do mean the allusion to, the, to everything that's going on in, in Roman's life and, and with Russia and his background. It's Kremlin-like silence or, or vice-like grip on any information coming out of the club. So I'm going to go with you, Martin. What do you think? Um, this situation with Mauricio Sarri and Napoli is just confusing. Because as well as that, Napoli have already appointed Carlo Ancelotti for next season. So at the moment, they have two managers. Um, it's such a strange situation. Some of the reporting a couple of weeks ago was down to the fact that Chelsea apparently wouldn't pay the release clause. And I can actually yeah. completely understand why. I mean, why the fuck would you pay a release clause for someone who you've already sacked? It's just, it's very strange. But the guy in charge of Napoli and De Laurentiis is a tough negotiator by, um, by some of the accounts I've read. Um, I the what another thing was a couple of weeks ago when they one of the papers I think it was the Daily Mail said oh it's now Laurent Blanc and Chelsea don't like things that Sarri has said and done in the past yeah. and and then it emerged you know with a you know the investigative powers of Google that Laurent Blanc had made similarly colourful remarks about the intelligence of um, black footballers and <laughs> thinking why would you say one managers out for questionable comments and then immediately replace him with another manager who has made in many ways worse comments um, I just get the impression so much of it is just to um, ramp betting markets and let's just see what happens It's I I, I would have thought Sarri's name's been mentioned so frequently now that if it's going to be anyone to replace Conte it will be him yeah. but uh, nothing surprises me, to be honest. It could be Villas Boas could come back for all we know. Chich, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> not although, me at all. <laughs> although I've got to say, um, you know, for the short time Villas Boas was, we played high line pressing football. We did With slow defenders. Well, we did, but <laughs> and you got, know, and got the, beat by Arsenal five three. Yeah, we home. did, but you can't say that wasn't a thrilling game. If you'd have been a neutral, you'd have loved that game, wouldn't you? I hated it. I wanted to go and kill people after that match. And my point is, is that I, you know, I've made my views on Sarri very plain, but, um, you know, I, 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 I'm still defeated as to why you would go and pick somebody who has got zero, zero. Yeah, but I, I think that's a bit of a spurious argument. To no, be no, honest, mate. zero much as, league much as I, much as I love yeah. you, yeah. you know, if you, if you, pred- if you chose managers solely on the basis that they've won something you, you've got a pretty short list and let's be honest Chelsea have worked their way through most of it yes I've so you know it's twice in one on yeah. one occasion well exactly so I, I think that 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 is an unfair argument in a way I, I mean you know much as I sympathize with it because I think it's important that we win but I, I, I you know you have to go it's look it's like it's come on we, we all work uh, some some more than others but you know 
we've all run things as well. And, yeah. you know, you, you choose people based on you think that they're going to fit with your culture. They're going to carry out your instructions, effectively, your strategy. And you, you think that they're going to have some success. And the reality is whoever you hire, you know that there are no guarantees, you know, and it might go pear-shaped. It, it happens. Sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get it wrong. But I think that you can't constrain yourself merely by, oh, well, we're only going to hire managers that have won something. Yeah. Because I, I, I think that's just totally unrealistic I, these I, days. My, my own view, and I've said it in the past before, is, is that, you know, past performance is no guarantee of future performance. Absolutely It, it right. absolutely that's isn't, right. okay? But if you're in the market for a manager who has, um, you know, a bright future, who can handle pressure, who knows what real pressure is or whatever, I still don't understand why the the appeal of a foreign manager... Yeah, comes over other good young managers that may be, you know, chomping at the bit to be I, given a chance. Well, I, you know, you know where I'm going with this one. Well, I do, I, and I, I, I think I think that speaks of another problem, really, yes. doesn't it? Because you know, Sarri is highly rated. Um, I mean, you know, Poop Guardiola is a big fan, as we all know, and I think that carries a bit of weight throughout the game. He certainly plays very attractive football, etc., etc., etc. So you can, I mean, you know, the reality is we, none of us know if Chelsea have approached Na- Naples or uh, no. Sarri or whatever. None of us know that. No. So it's difficult to really talk about it. So, yeah, you can understand that there's an, an element of, you know, adding two and two and making five, which goes back to the issue that we were talking about earlier on, that we, we live in this mushroom yeah. shed, as to most of the media. I think what's more important for Chelsea right now is that, you know, what we've got here is a huge, huge, huge pus-like boil of uncertainty about this club at the moment and its future direction. And, you know, we would have said this before we heard the announcement that they were going to put a hold on the stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And before, you know, doubts uh, were coming out about Roman, you know, Roman's desire to be here anymore because of the politics and everything. But what this club needs more than anything else, I think, is a proper strategy. Now, again... For all we know, they might have one, but we would be the last to flaming well know. But, you know, given given that, we need to, you know, I would love to know if they have one, but I accept the fact that I might not find that out. But, I, you know, they need to have a strategy, which means they, they need to figure out where they want to go. Is it attractive football? Is it attractive football and winning football? Is it integrating the youth because they don't want to spend money? And we know that they don't want to spend a lot of money anymore. They, they, you know, the, the, the aim of the club for the last five, six years has been, has to be, you know, been to be self-financing so that they're not going to play the whole City United game anymore. But, you know, we need to know what it is. And if you don't, if you don't mind me going off on one a bit here, Tony, because I've just written an, another article no. about this, this point as well. Yeah. Because it kind of conflates with what's happening with the stadium. <clears throat> you know, we, we, you know, the stadium, the idea of redeveloping the stadium, I think, is twofold originally. One was that uh, it's it's an effort for us to not be left behind by Spurs, Arsenal, City, United, Liverpool, all of whom uh, uh, all of whom have a, a lot of you know a, a greater capacity than we have. And I mean, you know, Arsenal, for example, they draw in a hundred million a year on match day revenue. We we generate sixty six. Yeah. All right. So you know. Expanding the stadium to 60,000 could well have been seen as an attempt to bridge that gap, no pun intended. 20 million was the, was the figure that was quoted for not having well, that extra capacity. Exactly right. Or it could even be 35, who knows? I mean, it could get us nearer to 100 million a year match day revenue. But the reality is, is that that's peanuts. It's absolutely peanuts. Because if you spend a billion quid 
on redeveloping that stadium, it would take you 20 year, years to pay off that investment on the basis that, you know, the revenue that we generate on match day would increase by 35 million a year. And that's not even thinking about interest or anything like that. So therefore, for me, it makes absolutely no economic sense whatsoever, okay, given, given the situation that they find themselves in. So that being the case, uh, what is more important? Well, what is more important is broadcast revenue and commercial revenue. What's broadcast revenue and commercial revenue where, incidentally, we perform very well? I mean, we, we average across all of those metrics about third or fourth mm. in terms of the Premier League, all right? There's a chance that we could get pushed down to fifth because of Spurs and, and the increased money that they'll get. But we, we perform very well in broadcast revenue and commercial revenue. And why do we do that? The reason we do that, fucking hell, Donal, what are you doing, man? You make a robot or something? Anyway, you know the reason we, the reason we do so well in terms of generating broadcast revenue and commercial revenue is because we win more than anybody else has for the last fifteen years. So instead of building a great big new stadium, which could also have been a vanity project, could also have been a great legacy to Roman and his contribution, and let's face it, we all wanted it. I mean, it, it looked fantastic. But perhaps it would be better if they spent some of that money in the squad, you know, in building and mm. developing a winning squad that will continue winning trophies and Champions League, carrying on doing that. Because that is the only way, I think, that they're going to sustain, uh, you know, their position in terms of being able to compete with the nation-state-funded clubs like City. It'll be by winning stuff. Because that's why you get more supporters so, around the world, and that's why you get more broadcast revenue. I think, that, and my concern is, of course, is that well, it actually was a concern, and then suddenly you find that Amazon have bought the, the last Premier League package, um, and so you know they're just dipping their toes in, and they will blow anybody out of the wall, you know, as would Facebook, I guess, in terms of revenue. Are you there, Donal? We can hear you, but we don't know if, if you can. Can you? Yeah, the connection's really bad, Tony. It keeps dropping in and out. Um... I've got a poor network connection, and it did a, a Windows update on me, yes, and exactly. uh, all sorts of nonsense. Um, I'll just keep listening for a second, see if it gets any better. Okay. Um, um, all right, I'll just put it on mute for now, and yeah. you carry on. Okay. Carry on rant, ranting without me, and I'll join back in as soon as I can. Okay, will do. Um, and proof there, ladies and gentlemen, of course, that we are semi-live anyway. Um, I, I, I take your point, Chidge, uh, and I think that, um, you know, for, for me, um, my, my words, and I have got that, that stadium thing in it, but the whole thing, you know, I, I'm talking about the manager, is that is one of the core points of uncertainty. So it's uncertainty for the fans. Yeah. Who's taking us forward next season? What's happening? It's for the players, it must be drive unless they've got inside information. And let's be honest, if that squad had inside information, it would have fucking leaked by now. Someone yeah. would have spoken something, and we are getting not, not even from Blue Squirrel. Okay, we are we're, we're hearing rumours of Italian people, you know, descending on the club. Well, you know, I mean, Christ, they could be Conti's mates. Who knows, right? Um, Conti, to his credit, if he if if the latest that I've heard is that he hates the board and they hate him, has not spoken a word. Has he? You don't even know where he is. He's not been in the papers. He's not even been packed on a beach in fucking Sicily, has he? Um, you know, so I, 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 I don't know what's happening. But for me, that's a core part of it. And now, if those players aren't leaking, if that information isn't being leaked from within that playing squad and they're all their friends and their hangers-on and their agents, etc., that tells me they don't know. If they don't know, how the hell are any of them going to think about signing a new contract? Or, what? The, you know, they must be thinking. It's all very well saying, yeah, they're just concentrating on the World Cup. What about the ones that didn't go to the World Cup? 
Exactly. You know, David, it, Lu- David Luiz, prime example. Yeah, David Luiz, I, I really don't want him to go to fucking Arsenal or anywhere else in the Premier League. In fact, I think I want him back because the season we won the Premiership, he was fabulous. I mean, everybody said that. He shoved Gary Neville's PlayStation um, bollocks back down his throat that season. Okay, And whatever happened last season... It, it can be got over, and that's why I, one of the reasons I think Conti's going to go. Look, it, as much as I love him, he's going to go, okay. But and I'll, I will move this on. So we, you know, we've talked about. Uh, uh, I don't rate Sarri. We don't know who's coming in. We don't know any other names in the frame. A proper director of football, which we've mentioned so many times. You know, why do the people, the suits running the club, think they know more about football than a fucking proper person involved in football? But I'll go back to this point about. The new man, whoever comes in, have they got any chance of succeeding or doing something strategic, as Chidge has mentioned, okay, um, when they're given a two-year sentence? I mean, a contract, right? Because <laughs> that's what it amounts to, isn't it? You've got two years, mate. These are your targets. None of them are going to chance their arm with, no matter how good your academy prospects are, okay? Yeah. They're going to go with tried and trusted. So I'm going to b- bring Martin in here. What do you think? Well, the main reason that Klopp at Liverpool and Pochettino at Spurs are able to, you know, do what they're doing is because they're not getting undermined from above. And no matter who comes in at Chelsea, if the attitude of the board is, if there's a few adverse results, then, you know, certain, you know, favoured journalists start getting briefed about a management under pressure. And, you know, I always say the the proof is always in the third round of the League Cup, and he won't. They won't. They will play an established team against a League One or League Two team because they simply cannot afford to experiment with a team because they are immediately under pressure on a bad result. And until that changes, I don't care who you bring in as a manager, you are going to have the same cycle over again. Where, you know, if they're good, they'll survive the first season, but will they get beyond the second? It's unlikely because they'll either. They'll get pissed off and want to leave yes. anyway. Yeah. And or you know, they won't, you know, hit their marks in the previous season and they'll get sacked. And if they're not even that good, they won't probably won't last you know, till March. Exactly. Nine months in. It's ridiculous. And, you know, for all the you know, the talk of you know, Klopp's been allowed to do his job, Pochettino's been allowed to do his job, Guardiola's been allowed to do his job because people are in place to yes. act as a conduit between him and the board, and they're all on the same page, and they're not backbiting, bitching at each other, and, you know, you know, trying to nudge people out of the way to advance their own position. Until that, you know, it's Kremlinology, if you like. It's just Russian politics in a football boardroom. And until that changes, we're going to have the same cycle. Well, that's yeah. true, Martin, but, I mean, you, you've also got to take into account, I mean, you know, Conte's no, no angel in all no, of I, this. No, I, I accept that. You know, and I but, think... You know, I, I, but you know the pattern of behaviour with Conte has kind of been a little bit, exa- a little bit accelerated. Well, but, you know, but, I mean, is well, it because Mourinho he was like, he was like, this, at, he yeah. was, he was like this at Juventus, mate, as well? Yeah, yeah but Jose, I mean, Jose is a jo- Jose the same thing. Blew up, Ancelotti, I think he got cheesed off towards the end, and then he got sacked in a corridor. So uh, it's not it's not just been Conte. It's just I don't, I don't think you can compare what happened with Ancelotti to to Mourinho, Mark II, and Conte. I think that was a very different time. I, I, you don't, I don't I, think he got I, undermined. I do think he got undermined, yeah. but I don't think he he fought back, pushed back, was trouble, was argumentative, and all the rest of it. I think quite the opposite. I absolutely, 
I absolutely now. agree with you that he was undermined. It's 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 a point of record if you if you read Carlo's uh, you know autobiography. But it was a very different club then, and I think the club has changed immeasurably since then. And I actually do think that there was a desire. Uh, I think there was a desire to keep Mourinho for a long time. You know, they took a punt on the fact that he wasn't going to. I mean, look, I, I think whatever happened with Mourinho, we would have lost him to United sooner or later. He clearly always wanted to go there. Uh, I think that they were really up for having. Con- was, sorry, do you think the club was scared to sack Mourinho? prematurely the second time round so they let um, it go as long as they did well, well yeah they sacked him before Christmas mate in all, in all honesty but, he, but he could have gone in October and no one would have been shocked because yeah that's 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 true I, 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 but that's my point that, that you know I think that number one they took uh, account of what the supporters felt and of course he had a huge amount of support and remember that they they you know they don't like they don't like the PR ram- I mean what this club don't like at all is bad PR uh, and they got a lot of bad PR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got a lot of bad job oh, yeah, avoiding it. Yeah. What? What? <laughs> no, I think... You tell me what you said, because you were talking over each other and I couldn't Sorry. hear it. If they, if they don't like bad PR, they have a very awful habit of running into it repeatedly. So well, yeah. because you can't control it, that's the thing. Mm. But, I mean, what, what I mean by that is that, you know, they took a kicking from the supporters about Rafa Benitez, and, and it was embarrassing for the club as a whole because we were so vehemently opposed to that and made it very obvious. And the, and the way Di Matteo got treated. Yeah. That's made, as much of it as any Yeah, you know, but I, th- I think actually in the end of the day, that was less of an issue than Benitez because we were so publicly, virulently opposed to him and we made a big noise about it in the press and the media and that embarrasses the club. So I think that they were mindful of, of, of taking the temperature of the supporters and the supporters were well behind Mourinho before we sacked him, as you know. Um, but I, I genuinely think that they would have kept him for longer if they could. But it, it, his position was untenable, probably through his own making and devious machinations to, to do that. I think that with Conte, they generally wanted a long-term appointment here. But, you know, let's be honest, he's a bit sneaker-leapy and he throws his toys out of the pram and he expects total control. And you're not going to get that. I mean, it goes back to what I was saying, Martin, on the fan cast all season. Somewhere along the line, somebody didn't read the memo. And the memo was, we don't want to buy players over 30 or nearly 30. We want to bring some of the youth in and we want to do this, that and the other. And I think he, I think he came into a club thinking, yeah, 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 whatever, I'll show them. I'll win them the title in the first year, show them how bloody good I am, and then they'll give me what I want. And then when he asked for it, they turned around and said, no, son, that's not what we agreed. And I think that's been the stem of yeah. the root of the problem. Yeah, between I, them. Yeah. I agree. I think that's... Are you back, Are you back, Donal? He's he's there. He can't he he can't respond. Um, I I I'm actually loving. Sorry, it. I, 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 I'm just it just keeps dropping out. Tony. Yeah, okay. Hi, Tony. Yeah, it yeah. just keeps dropping out. I'm, I I'll, I'll just keep listening as long as I can. Yeah. I'll join in when I can. Okay. Uh, um, it's, it's uh, I've just got some appalling connection here tonight. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. That's because um, you live I, in Hackney, Donal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're. We're obviously, yeah, we're obviously under some sort of cyber attack from <laughs> from Corbyn. That's yes, what it is. yes, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, uh, I, 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 I actually, mean, I, while, while I've got a clear signal, do you want me to? I've got a little musical essay on the subjects <laughs> of on, our current manager. Yes, and it's uh, this is um, basically this is a beginning of the summer song. Uh, and an end of the summer song. And both of them are sung by uh, none other than Antonio Conte to uh, Maria. 
who he's obviously <laughs> currently fallen out with. So I hope you can hear this. I'll try and keep the volume up. Um, so this is Antonio Conte singing to Maria just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, he's gone. Oh, what a shame. No, don't know. It's gone, mate. It's gone. It's gone. It's, 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 the, it's, it's the remix. It's, 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 it's definitely, yeah. Oh, dear. It, it, the Norman Collier mix. It is, isn't it? it this is... <laughs> Come on, man, now, oh, we're in, we're in. Well, well, that was great. Did you though. hear that? <laughs> oh, yes. Right. Two seconds. The last five seconds. <laughs> we, we, oh, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, you wouldn't be satisfied with anyone. Showing you get. Rid of me Who will the next Who be right, fast, fast forward a couple of months <laughs> We're now sort of Just at the end of August It's been a long hot summer um, He hasn't found another job They haven't found another manager Well today I started loving Marvellous. I don't know if you got any of that. Yeah, we, we got we got the gist of it. Certainly the second bit. I heard Chish laugh out loud at that. Today I'm going to be loving you again. Um, oh dear, oh dear. Thank you for that, Donal. I think that's given us a welcome a welcome interlude. There. You, you've, you've got all Norman Collier, so you're going to have to mute yourself again. Um, uh, yeah. Um, uh, and your connection's dropped. Um, Chidge uh, and Martin, sorry, I just I, I was laughing at because I know I know what Donald's uh, saying, and and it is a it is a one. I mean, I don't think it is a worry. I don't think we're going to end up in a position where Conti doesn't get a job he wants, and and we end up with you know last minute Larry walking through the door. Um, I, I do I do worry that you know it also you know this whole thing that you said about bringing in youngsters and not wanting to spend the money, blah blah blah. Uh, the memo didn't go round. And and for those kids in the academy, uh, you know, let's face it, who've won five FA Cups on the trot or whatever, and some of them are going to be spotted by other teams. Uh, and, and so, you know, we could find ourselves um, almost being, not bombarded by other teams, but their agents will be out trying to sell them if they are not got a prospect future. What do you think? You're asking me, mate. Yeah, well, you or Martin, because Donald's uh, Donald's stopping right. around well, in the background. I mean, I should have I should have mentioned it earlier, really, shouldn't I? That the uh, you know when we, when you were talking about positives from the season, you know, I, I very rudely uh, forgot to mention the the youth teams again, who were fantastic. Um, but I mean, you know, I'm going to go back to what I said a minute ago. Is that I think that we're on a on a really you know there's a we're we're, we're in a, 
God, where do you start? <laughs> it's a very, very, very crucial summer. I've said this time and time again, but it really, really is. They, they need – there are so many things that I think need to be addressing. And as I said, for all we know, they may well be doing that. But, you know, there's a chance we need a new manager because whilst, you know, I, I quite like Conte, certainly from year one, less so year two uh, – you know, there's that, that very real possibility from what we understand that if he stays, then a lot of players might ship out. And, you know, there's, yeah. there's no, you know, no, nobody's irreplaceable. I, I, I get that, but, uh, I don't think I'd be too happy if we lost Eden Hazard. No. You know, so there's a bit of a state of flux and things need to be addressed. And I think that, the, you know, the, the more I think about it, uh, the, the more that I get worried about the, uh, you know, the money situation, you know, it's a very real issue. Uh, that we are falling behind in terms of, uh, you know, the, the arms race, if you like, in football. Uh, with City, uh, United have always been there, you know, and the, and the clubs like Liverpool and, and Spurs will be getting richer. Arsenal have got a new manager. They've got rid of Wenger, who has probably been their, their biggest obstacle to success in recent years. So, you know, at the moment, we're, we are slipping down the pecking order and we have a real, there's a very real chance that we are going to be I mean, let me think, City, United, Liverpool, Spurs, Arsenal, you know, we could be floating around fifth or sixth. And, you know, if we have a jolly good run on the way and we bring in some young players and we occasionally win the FA Cup, yeah, I'm sure a lot of us will go home relatively happy, particularly if the football's entertaining. But I don't know if that's actually sustainable in terms of the business model that we have at Chelsea because we spend a lot of money. You know, our, we don't make a profit. Uh, we spend a lot on wages. And of course, we've got this deficit in the match day revenue. And I, as I said earlier on, I think our, you know, the amount of money we can claw back in commercial and broadcast is predicated entirely on our success. So unlike Arsenal, who could go ten years without success, that's all right. That you know, their 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 commercial and their broadcast are going to stay about the same level anyway. But they've got all that match day revenue. If we start getting less successful, I wonder how that's going to impact on us financially. So. You know, it's a worry that we could slip further back if we're not careful. On the other hand, you know, spending, you know, doing what we've always done, which is to just chuck money at the problem time and time and time again, you know, one wonders, is, is, is Abramovich keen to do that? So it's a very, I think it's the most critical period in the club's history since Roman bought the club in 2003. Indeed. And I think what happens this summer will very much dictate where we go for the next five to ten years. Yeah, Martin, um, so we've got this fantastic academy brilliant players winning trophies year in year out is this the turning point season or close season for Chelsea is this the point where we say we're going to try it and recreate the class of 92 at Chelsea it would be if um, the board prepared to stand by it and not just try it not panic or if there were a few um, sticky results early on because if you do that you've got to accept that you know you're not you may not hit the ground running. You're not going to, you know, string six wins off the bat. If you do, fantastic. But realistically, it's not going to happen because there is a bedding in process and a lot of the players will be making the transition from, you know, maybe being loaned out or playing at um, underage level to first-team football at, in the Premier League at a club that expects to be in the top four. It is a huge leap. Now, I, I'm not saying the players aren't capable of doing it, I think I think you, there is no reason why you can't put one or two in there and have them playing. But the uh, the attitude from the board needs to change with it. You know, there needs to be an acceptance. You may not 
um, you, may, you may have to lower your expectations a little bit. On the subject of Roman, I just wanted to, um, you know, throw something in there that you know may not be palatable, but you think there's a possibility he may be preparing preparing to sell up well if he finds the right buyer that's my next point actually moving on to that and then the very next item that i've got on the kind of script i did or the bullet point list which is roman's future question mark now he's an israeli citizen he's pulled his uk visa application that's that's been pulled now um and despite israeli citizenship that means he cannot do business in the UK. He, uh, now, he can do it by proxy. There's nothing going to stop that ever happening. Um, and, and how do you stop in the modern, globalised, um, you know, uh, information highway connected world, how, how will you stop anyone doing business in your country is a, a, another good question. However, that, then the announcement of the stadium... Okay, I've worked, used the word fiasco because I, I've said it leaves, you know, my view leaves us or potentially leaves us behind key rivals who are all moving to 60k plus stadiums, right? Okay. Or have um, them already. Or have them already, okay? The, the estimates I, I saw were £20 million per year gap in gate revenue, um, and, and I don't know whether that's just gate revenue or whether that includes potential merchandise sales. Well, hang on, Tony, what, what do you mean? What do you mean precisely by that? Uh, would you make, well, what I'm saying is, is that if you take. The Israeli citizenship. No, no, no. Hang on. I, I mean specifically about the gate revenue. Oh well. The, What's that? What does that twenty million represent? Uh, the gap between us and the sixty k, uh, an Arsenal. Like the sixty six yeah, yeah. hundred right. million. What okay. are you saying? Yeah, so okay. it's like the same because I, I yeah, reckon you said thirty five million, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, I don't know whether the, the figure I saw is just purely gate revenue. Well, or let, let, that's let me put it. Merchandising let me, as well. Let me know. put it round another way. If if our match day revenue is sixty six million quid a year. And this is in the last filed accounts up to June, uh, June 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we're increasing the capacity from 42,000 to 60,000, that's basically a third increase. So let's say it's 22 million. Yeah. All right. So that's what? 68, 88, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We're still behind Arsenal at 100 million. Yes. Liverpool are at 74, but they're going to increase theirs a bit more. Uh, United are uh, 112 or something. Yeah. City are about 52. Yeah. We don't know what Spurs will be, but somewhere between 60 and 100, I would have thought, if yeah. they got a 60,000 capacity stadium. Yeah. So, you know, this, this is what I'm saying. But, Sorry to butt in and hijack it a bit, but I don't think you're going to get return on that investment. You know, it's not going to make much of a difference in the grand scheme of things. There's a big conversation to be had around the fact that Spurs have managed to build a new stadium more or less on their existing site within a year. They've been out of there a year, okay? Um, and somehow or another they're going to be back in there mid-September or whatever and yet we couldn't do something I, mean, I appreciate ours was a different scale of, of plan etc but my point as well as well as the gate revenue is that when a footballer signs for a club he's signing for the club the brand and everything okay and if you suddenly say you've got a chance of playing in Old Trafford, the Emirates or whatever Tottenham's ground is this fantastic 60k this massive amphitheatre of of, of of huge cauldron or whatever, or Stamford Bridge with its 42,000, which it can, I don't care how intimate we think it is, and you, as well as I know, that the atmosphere has not been the same for quite some time, you know, otherwise you wouldn't have a shed singing section, okay? Yeah, but I think that that's a, that's a problem across the board, Tony, and in fact, actually, there's an <laughs> argument to say that if you build a bigger stadium and sell tickets to more wankers, yes. then the atmosphere is going to be worse. But if you're a player, that may well be part of the attraction playing in front well, would of you, the big Would you rather audience, live in you know? Liverpool, Manchester or Cobham? 
Well, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying that. They, well, actually, I think you find some areas of Cheshire where the United players live are, are pretty, you know, elderly fucking edge. Yeah, break, yeah, mate. but you know, but what the point is is that's part of your pulling. That's part of the brand. Is what that but stadium Chelsea, is and what it does. In the middle of London, mate. Yeah, you don't I, get more glamorous than I, that. I, I just think that you know, uh, an older stadium, a smaller stadium, it doesn't have the pull. It just doesn't. You know, and I think that's part and parcel of it. If you're looking at a club that is, as we have become, obsessed with brand, yeah, a key part of that brand is your home and what that image that projects it in comparison to others. And it it will be just that. It will be as trivial as that for some people, I think. But my my point, my bigger point was... um, you know, when the when the stadium plans were uh, put on hold, you know, I, I, my first view was Christ Almighty, there'll be some fans jumping for joy over this. Well, fucking hell, we ain't going to have to move out. And I, I'm thinking the intransigence to move out temporarily uh, is just yet another indication of the short-termism, not just of our fans, but of all fans. But the whole Roman thing, as Martin said, you know, it, if you were completely objective, if you had nothing to do with football and you saw man gain citizenship of another country Paul's plug on that Paul's plug on stadium whatever would you and, and you, with the information uh, which I had which I've shared into our group about the um, the selling of um, you know some some of his properties yeah okay um, that was all sort of secret squirrel stuff and probably still is um, I would be looking at it and thinking this is this is someone who's got plans to move move out and sell room, up, you mean? Well, or go into a partnership with somebody, oh, you know. I, I, I mean, there, there could be well, somebody dangling that, a bigger dollar yeah. there. Okay, but I mean, you know, there are two sides to this this coin. I mean, on the, you know, I know the club's statement was, you know, we're putting the stadium redevelopment on hold because of the current investment climate. I, I have it on very good authority from the journalist that I spoke to at the time that actually the real story is is the political issue and the yeah, political yeah, yeah. kind of tit for tatness about that. And, and frankly, if I'm Roman Abramovich and I've spunked over, you know, one point, you know, about one point one seventeen billion into the club already, and I'm about to put, put another another billion in, and you know, you're telling me you don't want me here, I think I'd turn around and say fuck you, frankly. So I don't blame him at all for that. But I think there is some reality about the investment climate too, because I know for a fact the club have been looking for external investment for the stadium develop, redevelopment for some time, and they've found it hard to get that. And of course, then that you know conflate that with the wider political uh climate at the moment you know a lot of uncertainty because of brexit a lot of uncertainty because of the divisions throughout europe a lot of uncertainty caused by trump in america you know it's it is not a healthy uh, investment climate at the moment particularly in the uk so there could be some reality to that um i wonder i think the, the more the more salient point perhaps tony is given what we were saying earlier on about where we are in the cycle you know, um, we've been trying to be self-sufficient. We've been trying to spend less in the transfer market or certainly more sensibly in recent years. We're not we're, refu- we're, we're trying to stick with FFP. We're refusing to compete with the likes of City, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's it, it's kind of worked to a degree, but we're being blown out of the water financially by so many clubs these days. And as I said, you know, that's threatened even more. You know, Roman has put in $1.17 billion to this club. Okay, and every time it, 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 the strategy goes tits up, i.e., you know, the manager fails or he gets or Roman gets impatient or whatever, the solution has always been to throw money at it. Maybe he's reached his limit. Maybe he said, you know what, bollocks, I'm not going to throw any more money at it anymore. And, and that means that we might not win. You know, the whole Arsenalification argument, I think, can't work at Chelsea. You know, I don't think that we 
can afford financially to not win anything for 10 years like they did because mm. I think our revenue will take an absolute shellacking on the back of it. So maybe maybe he is thinking, you know what, I- I'm out. You know, Maybe it's time for me to go because I'm not prepared to shove another billion into the club to make it successful again. In which case, uh, there are plenty of takers. You know, There is no doubt uh, that what Roman's legacy, if he does ever go, yes. will be, is that he has made us an incredibly attractive proposition yeah. to buy. I mean, yeah. we're—I think the market value of the club is something like 1.4 billion, from what I understand, which is more than he's put in, incidentally. So we are a very, very valuable proposition. So there is no doubt in my mind, if Roman does decide to go, we will be sold to somebody else very, very quickly, possibly a nation state. You know, there's plenty of Middle East. Uh, countries that want to get into football china as well who we were talking to until kennedy was rude to them you know there are there are plenty of options here but here is the bigger worry because you've effectively got it's a bit like when you're uh you know uh when you when you when you decide to rebuild your house and you get planning permission for it uh it makes you a more sellable proposition when you've got that planning permission But, of course, it doesn't mean that the new owners are going to actually follow your plan. And I think the situation that we might find ourselves in if we're we're not careful here is if if Roman does sell, he sells to somebody else. They're going to look at it and go, what I did earlier on, we spend a billion quid on redeveloping this because it's an incredibly timely and an incredibly complex and costly proposition to redevelop Stamford Bridge. And it's going to cost a billion quid. And they're going to say... Well, we're having to spend a billion quid. What are we going to get back for that? And then just not going to get that return on investment. For them, I think the more attractive proposition is to say, well, bollocks to that. We'll just move. Yes. You know, we'll go and build a nice shiny new stadium for 400 yes. million somewhere on the outskirts of London. Yes. Yeah. And, and, that, and, and that calls the, the apocalypse ensues, mate, in my yes. book. That's, yeah. when the C, that's when the CPO you, question kicks in. Exactly right. Yeah. And I mean, for all those going. Roman will never leave. Roman will give it to his son. The CPO, uh, the, the match-going fools who vote for the CPO have stopped Chelsea progressing. Well, yeah, maybe we have. But I'd rather have a bit of soul and authenticity and honesty about it than that. There are because so many they, clubs who wish they had that model in yes. place to stop. And I think the, the bottom line... shit's happening to their clubs. And, and the bottom line, Martin is that that is actually now a much more real prospect than it has been for the last 15 years. Nay, 30 years. You know, that we we are on that cusp. And I think if Roman does sell out, and there's no reason to believe that he will, other than, again, doing what everybody else is doing, adding two and two and making five. But I think that that is more of a possibility now than it certainly has been in the last 15 years. And given that case, that means that the CPO is crucial. If you, wanna, if you want Chelsea to be at Stamford Bridge. If you don't, if you want it to be in Mumbai and India, fine. But I shall find something better to do with my life if that happens. And I Sorry. think, I mean, there's no, no, not at all. I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm I, I like to think I'm reasonably progressive about um, things. I, I was very proud of the fact that we were going to have this fantastic stadium. It was going to be... The, As was I, Tony. You know, and... I just, I don't see, in 10 years' time, if Stanford Bridge is existing as it is now, we will not be competing. I just don't see it. I just do not see it. I well, think I do, it, I do, if we keep winning stuff, but I just think that that model might be it, broken as well. Yes, I think I think that's, that's that's the point we've spoken about before, and I look at it and I think, this, you end up being Atletico Madrid to Real Madrid. 
because you're yeah. going to be playing in this cosy little stadium and winning things occasionally, but never being one of the big boys. And, and I think, you know, it's going to take a big pair of balls to turn around and move it from Stanford Bridge or to get that stadium going again. Because once this planning permission is up and gone and finished, yeah, and I think you get about a year on it, don't you? I think before it, it, it completely runs Usually, out. Well, it's domestically, it's three. Is it three? you start the works. Yes. But I don't know how that applies to a commercial property, it, it, but domestically, it, it's three. So let's, let's, let's be optimistic and say that it, we, you've got three years, which like, if it doesn't start in three years, then it will never be built. It will never be built at Stanford Bridge because they're going to have to go through another five bloody Christ knows how many years after that to redesign and get more planning push all I, that shit again, and 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 no one's going to do that because the the, the what's the, your the, gut what's your gut feel, Tony? The gut feel, yeah. I, I, yeah I, I, when we were being proposed to move to, I think it was Chelsea Barracks or something like that. I was quite happy. I think it was just down the road, really. You know, um, a lot of people said, "Yeah, but it's Stamford Bridge." I said, "Let's trigger's fucking broom." It ain't Stamford Bridge that I went to in 1970. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, before the East Stamford. But it, built, it, it isn't now. No, it isn't. And it, so it's trigger's broom. It's had fuck knows yeah. how many new handles and fucking broom heads and all this sort of stuff. Uh, it, moving it 20 miles out of London would make it, make it very, very difficult to call it Chelsea for a start, you know, and, and, and still ha- keep that. I, I wanted that stadium. I, I, I think perhaps Roman is playing a very Russian game of, of, of roulette here. In other words, you know, uh, uh, almost in a stare-out competition saying, you know, that would have generated thousands of jobs, Chidge. That would have generated thousands of jobs during the build of that, okay? And yes, the discomfort of four years at Wembley or fucking wherever it was might have upset some people. But you know what? Things change, okay? And uh, and yes, there will be people who were going to uh, Stamford Bridge the day it closed and who sadly wouldn't be around the day it opened. That's life. That, that thing happens all the time, you know? And I, I think uh, that I wanted... I, what I'm looking at is like you said a critical period and during that critical period since we won the FA Cup up until now we've heard nothing now that means there's either a shitload going on in the background at the top level that we're never going to get to the bottom of and the, and that means that nobody in the club knows other than a very small cabal at the very top yeah or nothing genuinely has happened in which case I don't know what the worst situation is a critical summer with a World Cup where nothing's going to happen for three or four weeks now okay and you end up with uh, a very short period very short pre-season okay in which to do your transfer stuff because don't forget isn't the transfer window shut in the day of the season start the transfer window shuts I think the day before so It opened earlier to accommodate that, yeah. but it now shuts yeah. at the start so, of the season. So the, the, the paying public, us, the season ticket people who, let's face it, we probably spend less at that club than any football tourist does because we go and we drink elsewhere and we, 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 you know, we don't eat in the club or whatever. We pay our season ticket going bugger off or whatever, yeah. Um, but we are the fixed revenue, whereas you know the tourist comes in you know, Mr. and Mrs. whatever from Hong Kong come in and they bring their two kids and they spend a fucking grand that day on tickets, meals and, uh, you know, memorabilia and merchandising and that. Um, you know, I, it worries me that there's a... Uh, that that's the way football's heading in general. But I actually believe that there are changes in the air. Something something doesn't fit right, you know, with the, the state. It, and it could be a political game or it could be a preparation for some bigger announcement. That's That's my view. Um, but I wish they'd hurry up and get on with it because it is the more uncertainty generates, the more speculation, and maybe that's what they want, Chidge. Maybe and, and maybe that's what maybe they want to generate that 
that uh, almost typical Chelsea insanity amongst us, you know, to for for whatever reason, I don't know. I don't. Oh, know. I Russians mean, look, behind, Russians behind a disinformate. Disinformation yeah. campaign. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And using using blue squirrel as useful idiots, as I've said on the podcast on yes. many occasions. Yes. I yeah. mean, look, I, I I don't know, mate. I do think we're at a crucial turning point. I, I personally, I, I I don't think I can't. I don't see how we can build that stadium. I really don't because I cannot see any businessman coming in uh, and spending a billion quid and taking 30 years to, re- to have a return on that investment. Unless, I, do not, I do not see it. Unless you were planning to hand it on to your son. Yeah, well, yeah, whatever. But, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I just don't see it happening. So, the, so, therefore, the question is, and this is an interesting point, you know, the, history tells us that Roman cannot tolerate failure. You know, for yes. him, it's all about winning trophies. When he's not going to win trophies, he throws his toys out of the pram and change happens. Yes. And as a result, we've won 16, 17 trophies since he arrived. So is the sea change going to be OK? Where are we in the financial scheme of things? Well, actually, the way that it's panning out is that we are, I think, because of uh, the way that Liverpool, Arsenal and Spurs are moving. I mean, at the moment, Spurs... We, we, you know, we're going to be one. I mean, City's match day income is kind of irrelevant, although weirdly they're fifth to our fourth. But we're going to be around. You know, I think Spurs will push us down, so we'll be about fifth in terms of match day income. Um, and I can see the others catching up uh, on commercial. I mean, we're third at the moment, but uh, we're, we're, you know, the, the bottom line is it's, it's, it's details. Spurs have got 111 million on commercial. Liverpool 136. Uh, Arsenal 117. We've got 140. So we're all about about much much as. So let's say that in the scheme of things, financially, we're going to be about fourth, fifth, sixth. Let's let's say fifth. Take the average. Yeah. That often equates to where you finish in the league. Surprise, surprise. So you know, would they be prepared to? Uh, put up with not winning stuff, not winning trophies. If if that model of Arsenalification, if you like it, Tony, yeah. if that model <laughs> if that model still brings in the same amount of match day, broadcast and commercial revenue, um, will that be enough? Because actually the reality is is that, you know, we might we might be at the bottom end of the top, if you see what I mean. But we're still way above everybody else. I mean the next the next nearest to us, I think, is Leicester. And I've got this. It's a brilliant article, actually, done by David Conn and the Guardian. Oh yes, 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 yes. Oh, yeah. and it actually that, that, that ray of happiness. That <laughs> ray of happiness, Martin. But you know, he's a good journalist, and he came oh, up yeah. with good stuff. No question. So, like uh, Leicester, as far as I'm aware, their uh, their turnover seventh highest in the league. We're we're third. Spurs are sixth. Okay. Now we're third on 368 million. Spurs are sixth on three hundred and six, so there's not much difference there, really. Leicester is seventh. Spurs is sorry to interrupt. Is Spurs income also including the NFL side deal? Though? No, no. Well, this is this is the accounts to two thousand and seventeen. Oh, so, oh, I see. Okay, it's way before that, but you know, there's not much of a muchness there. But, but the bottom line is, if we're at the bottom of say the top six in terms of all of them, all the financial metrics. The gap between us and the next is huge because Leicester's turnover is 233 million. So they're like 70, 80 behind Spurs, you know. And I mean, their match day revenue, for example, is, uh, bear with me one second. Right, their, ma- right, their match day revenue is 16 million. You know, ours is 66. 
uh, obviously the, there's a parity with uh, you know with the broadcast um, but their commercial is way under so you know we're at a level where we're not going to be caught by the people below us unless they have a huge owner come and buy them and chuck a lot of money in it you know and I'm talking like city levels so in other words you know from a financial point of view, it's possibly sustainable for Chelsea to do an Arsenalification over the next five, ten years mm. without Roman having to piss away too much money. But we might not win much. Yeah. So, you I know, think that's it's interesting. Is where we are. I mean, he's already turned down one offer for the club, hasn't he? He's yeah. turned down from Jim Ratcliffe, um, the chairman of uh, the CEO of Ineos, who uh, happened to be uh, one of my customers as it, as it goes. Um, uh, that I've, I've dealt with in the past, uh, and he's now the richest man in Britain. I think I think he was declared last week as well. Um, so it, it, you know that being true, that then goes against the fact that he, you know you might be looking for a partner or, or a sale, unless of course he's already got a preferred partner or sale going ahead. Of course, and doesn't want to piss them off too much. Um, it, it, the, the whole thing's triggered. Now we, we've been going for an hour and seventeen minutes. Do you oh, know wait. what? For, for uh, uh, in, a, in a, a time when we've not nothing from the club, <laughs> fuck well, it. Because you know, it's it's because we've it's uh, you know it's basically because we haven't had anything to talk about for ages. Yes, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. Starved of the oxygen of publicity, mate. In, That's indeed, indeed. Uh, so I'm going to go back. I, 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 I do think we will um, be making an announcement on the manager. If it's Sarri, I, you know, I don't like. I, I still got nothing on the bloke. Uh, I don't think he's right, and I will always take the view that I'll chant his name when he gives me something to chant about. Until then, fuck him and fuck everybody else because they're just mercenary people coming in. I, I, I don't, my own view, not done enough. I think he will last a year at best. Well, I, I, I just hope that they come in and and read the memo, you know, and yeah. buy into what the club, the direction the club wants to go, which is. Not spending money, stupid money on yeah. players, not buying players who are nearly 30, bringing in some of the youth and developing the players that and, you and have. It if may, that's the memo, stick yeah. with it. And it may be that now we've got our first proper CEO since uh, Gourlay, um, that, that there is some additional structure at the top. Um, who, who knows? There might be something going on there. Um, you know, the rumours are that there was going to be some more. Yeah, you know, I still think the director of football, the overall. Um, I can't remember. I can never pronounce his name. Is it Bejistaran, the guy at City? Bejistaran. But that's Chicky the track, you know. <laughs> God, and you told me Shit. you weren't doing translation services for Kim Jong Un and fucking Donald Trump, and you come out with that. Um, I couldn't possibly <laughs> comment on that last statement. But he, uh, you know, if if we get something like that, because I think it's needed. I think the football and the the business side need some separation. I, I think yep. the, the business people need to. Get on with doing the business, the marketing, the merchandising, the deals, the sponsorship, etc. And then the football side needs looking after by someone who knows football. That's just my simple view. Um, I'm going to move the conversation on now for a, a few minutes because we are on the cusp of a World Cup festival. And uh, we've got some Chelsea players out there. Um, some Chelsea players who might have expected to be out there aren't. Um, and I just want to know from the from the pair of you, and I know Donald's back on, so you feel free to join in at any point, Donald, as we go into the last bit. Um, but uh, are you excited? Because I am. I didn't think I would be. And we've spoke about this in the pub, and we spoke about it on the fan cast. I don't give a shit about international football through the year. And yet the World Cup comes along, and suddenly I find myself, nine years old, 1970, wondering where my next coin for the SO coin collection is going to come in, you know. Um, do I care about England or am I just enjoying the feast of football irrespective of that? And that's where I am. I, 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 have, I have such low... No, I have no expectations of England. Not low ones. 
Um, I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by Southgate's philosophy. I, I think, you know, whatever happens, he should remain the manager because he's obviously trying to build something and do something different. And from the perspective of an ex-England player who's been close to success and heartbreaking failure. Um, so I just wonder what your views are on the World Cup, chaps. So uh, whoever wants to jump in, jump in. Martin's turn. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, um, no, well, I, I was a bit dubious about this World Cup and the next one purely because of the, um, you know, where they've been hosted and all the, you know, alleged chicanery that went on in terms of securing it and, you know, <laughs> arguably, Eng- well, arguably England should have hosted it and, yes. you know, Qatar hosting it is a joke. Yes. I mean, I know the 2026 ones in, you know, Canada, America and Mexico, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I would sooner it be someone like Australia, which actually has sporting pedigree and an infrastructure in place to host it. Yeah. Um, but um, as the fact that I tuned in to what this afternoon to watch the two worst teams in the tournament play each other to kick the tournament off, I quickly realised that my um, stance on that was a load of bollocks and I can't wait to watch the rest of the World Cup. Yeah. Um, Saturday in particular, where you've got like, games at like 11, 1, 4 and 7. Um, Brilliant. I'm, wow. I'm je- well, I'm jet lagged now, but I think I'll have square eyes by Sunday. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to jump in here because actually, I, I part of it is is I'm, I I seriously am going into hospital next Friday for an operation to have ankle reconstruction surgery because um, I'm pretty sure you're aware I have to wear this bloody great big ankle bracing and I finally you know got a date and all this. I, I always thought that's because you were out on probation, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's the other angle. That's, that too. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, it, it's something I need to get done because otherwise when I'm, you know, in my 70s and I'm hopefully into my 80s, I don't want to be falling over and smashing no, everything else right. up with a duff ankle. Um, and um, that means two weeks in plaster where I can't drive and I can't walk. I will be uh, on crutches, so zero load-bearing on that ankle, which means... I'm going to be stuck in front of the telly, pretty much, with a laptop by the side of me. My boss has basically said, you know, do whatever work you can, do a bit of training, do some training courses and all this. But, you know, and I I was just sitting there thinking, uh, if only there was a feast of football for me to... Well, look at that for timing there, you know. So uh, I I am like you, Martin. I, I had my doubts about, you know... I'm not so much about Russia. I think, you know, of any country... That you, irrespective of if you take politics, politics out of it, you know, Russia is a big country and it has got a sporting tradition, albeit a doping, dope, a dope tainted one or whatever, but allegedly, you know, allegedly, yes. Oh my God, yes. Um, you know, not that I believe that, uh, anybody who's listened. Um, but, uh, but the Qatar one was a joke and, and, and the fact that England were so summarily dismissed from that round of, uh, the, that, that last, that bidding competition by, by what was, ultimately corruption um was was so so wrong um but you know i am looking forward to it chidge you're a you're a a, a huge um uh, skeptic and uh, your levels of apathy towards international football are well broadcast during the well, season i i had a bit of a you know in my therapy today i i, I had to face some harsh realities about life which is that the uh, negativity and the disillusionment that has been seeping through my my work in football for the last year is not because uh, of what happens at the club. It's actually because I'm getting old and I am a grumpy old git. Yes, so it's of all, course. It's all, it's all me. It's not actually it's not actually the football. It's actually me. <laughs> me so yes. everybody I'm... who's read my work for the last year or, or listened to the podcast, uh, actually, it's basically because I'm a miserable old grumpy old yes. git. 
it's beautiful. not because Welcome I really believe. It's not because I believe what I've written or said. Embrace it, my friend. Embrace it, my friend. I have. (laughs) uh, Look, I mean, I've had a bit of a weird kind of ride on this whole international thing because, you know, not not growing up uh, with a dad who was a Chelsea supporter or or who took me to the football much, you know, my my first kind of footballing passions were were really about England, which, uh, given the age that I am, is very poor timing because, you know, I kind of was one year old when we won the World Cup I was just about conscious of the 1970 World Cup, but a bit Which, more interested. In, well, I was a bit yeah. more interested in the SO coin collection than I was the actual competition. <laughs> and then, of course, by the time 74 came round, I'm like now really old enough to get football, and I'm really excited for England to go and win the World Cup again. And then I had to like watch as we fucked up. You, you know, in 74 we didn't get there, 78 we didn't get there, and 82 we did. And the rest they say is history. But I mean, I've always been a huge England fan, and I love international football. Um, but I did a whole series on the World Cup in 2006. So I had to produce something like 90 studio shows in that period. And, and, and I mean, it's like total immersion. You know, you, I lived, ate, drank, breathed the World Cup 24-7 for, for two or three months. I had a gas doing it. It's the best thing I ever worked on. And I got to know people like Ray Wilkins and Les Ferdinand and a host of other great, great people that, you know, remain friends forever after, you know fantastic but the the thing was i actually conned myself into believing that england would win the world cup in 2006 you know it was in germany the climate would be the same and it was the golden generation and they'd all yes. been together long enough so my absolute utter disappointment when they went out was total it was complete and at that point in my life i just thought i don't have enough emotional space for both Chelsea and England. Well said. One of you, one of you have to go. Yes. And well it was said. In, and it was England. Yeah. And I've never looked back. Now here's where the here's where the weird bit comes in. Because you know, I, I I've had more joy uh, seeing Chelsea win stuff than and I've never seen England win stuff. So it was the right decision if you want to look at it like that. But here's where the weird thing kicks in. Because I give absolutely no fucks about what happens in the World Cup with England, particularly this time round, um, I'm actually really looking forward to it. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm liberated from the shackles of being desperate to see England win yeah. and being so wrapped up in all of that. I, I can be really dispassionate. I, I went. I had lunch with my mum today. She said, "Oh, you're looking forward to the World Cup." I said, "Yeah, I am. Actually, it's going to be great." She said, "What about England?" I said, "I don't really care." You know, they can win, they can go out. It doesn't really bother them. I said, if they win it, I'll be absolutely beyond pumped. Yes. But if they don't, I'm not going to be suicidal because yeah. I've kind of moved on. So I can look at the tournament as a whole and just enjoy it. And like like Martin was saying, I, 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 I've I got the week off. So I sat and, well, I said to Tony early on, I sat down to watch the Russia-Saudi <laughs> game. I probably <laughs> fell asleep in five minutes talking about being yeah. an old man. But, um, but I, no, I, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really looking forward to it, mate. It's a wonderful tournament. It, yeah. it's the, I mean, the, the other thing that's reminded me of this uh, on, I can't remember what channel, I think it was the History Channel, actually, but they basically oh, had a yes. repeat of yes. each of those films about yes. the World Cup. Yeah. And I've been religiously watching them, and it's just reminded me how much I've loved this tournament yeah. for since I was a very, very small boy. And it's kind of rekindled my passion for it, but in a in a kind of a... Yeah. It's a bit like, you know, it's that horrible thing that we, we deride people for because we are, we are such passionate, one-eyed uh, supporters yeah. of Chelsea. 
and we think that everybody who doesn't support a team like we do, you know, what's the point? Well, I'm actually on their side of the camp this time. I'm, yeah. I'm a neutral in, in, in effect. I mean, yes. obviously I want England to win, but I'm just going to enjoy the tournament. And it's yeah. a wonderfully liberating feeling. You have said everything. You've just taken every word Sorry, out mate. of my mouth there. Because actually, <laughs> no, uh, you know, I, 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 I've lived with a disappointment. I, I, my, my first sense of disappointment was because obviously the year uh, we won the FA Cup versus Leeds, yeah, was the year yeah. of the um, World Cup, and that was the year I started supporting Chelsea. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was, you know, nine. Year, I've said it before. Nine-year-old boy loved football. Didn't have a team. Latched onto Chelsea because of a comment made at school, and then my dad saying you support your local club, son, which is Chelsea. Even though I lived in Hazy Middlesex, it was still the most local one to us. Uh, uh, that'll QPR. Well, fuck me, I got out of jail there, didn't I? Right. Yeah. Um, me and you but, both. Yes. And my point, what, my point was, is that I, I remember, that I, I remember vividly the 1970 World Cup. That England team then was good enough to win that competition. They were easily good enough. Okay. Uh, the the, the players that we had and and the, the you know we we were worthy world champions irrespective of whether we won it in our own country and i remember the the very night uh, we were in a, a caravan um uh, site in bognor regis called the riverside caravan center a place where ricky gervais used to go regularly as well as a kid and um we actually sat there and the kids weren't allowed into the bar where the telly was back in then you, you know there's no way uh, you, uh no one under the age of 18 was allowed in the bar so all the kids had to gather outside and kind of, you know, like a, almost a human pyramid, be looking, to, trying to see what was going on in the end. I gave up. And it was England, West Germany. I went back in, uh, sat down uh, with my mum, sulking, bloody hell, can't watch the football or whatever, uh, football mad kid. And my dad came back in from the bar. And I dad, dad, dad. You know, what was the score? He went, three, bloody two, to Germany, to West Germany, he said. And it was all Peter bloody Benetti's fault. And I cried. I, I, my heart was broken because Peter Bonetti was my hero, you know. Um, uh, and it was such. A, it was almost up there with, you know, the day the day Danny Baker's dad told him Mark Boland had died, you know, with the, you know, that bloke you like, yeah, the one with the curly hair and the glitter, yeah, dead, gone, and then walked out of his bedroom like. It, it, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a great Danny Baker story. It really is, you know. Uh, and it was like that. It was like the the kind of insensitive, for your fucking man up, son. You know, Peter Bonetti's just fucked England's world Ch- world cup chances. Um, and since that point, it's been. Never ending. I was less disappointed with 74 and 78 when we didn't qualify than when we did qualify and went out. You know, Italia 90 was heartbreaking because we were so close and so good then, you know. Um, and I, I watched it and I think the final straw for me was Iceland. <laughs> that game, I just remember sitting there thinking, what the, what the fuck is going on? And I know that was the Euros, but it was just so like, that was the point where I came to the conclusion that you did, Chidge. There wasn't enough emotional space in my life for England and, you know, I'd been falling out of love with England and falling more in love with Chelsea because Chelsea had given me a chance to know what it's like to win, you know, to be on the winning side. And that's ultimately what everybody wants at some point in their life, don't they? They want that feeling of elation or whatever. And then I look at the football of the World Cup and think this time, intriguing as Southgate and, and what they're doing is, I, you know, if we get out of the group and we get, you know, knocked out in the first round of 6-16 or whatever they call it these days, uh, I, I would still say, OK, well, that's an improvement on the fucking Euros for, for, for a start. But I can watch the football as a neutral and that is lovely. And I'll tell you this story. When I was the last World Cup, I was at 
the, the things have moved on in my life a little bit. So I've obviously got this mobile home down in the south of France. Went down there uh, for a week during the last World Cup uh, with my brother. And we were sat there and we got down about, and it was you know, Germany versus Brazil that night. Okay. Oh, bloody hell. Uh, uh, and honestly, we'd started off by having a bit of a joke, and you know, oh, anyone give a shit about this, you know, whatever. And within 10 minutes, everyone was glued to it going, what are we watching here? You know, yeah. and the camaraderie out of it from United City, Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea fans or whatever, watching kind of open mouth and cheering every bloody German goal going, fucking, you're sticking it to the Brazilians in their own country. It was bizarre. It was almost that like was a, one of the... Yeah. Can I, can I just the, say, Tony, because I've, I've returned. Yes. yes. Can, I, can I just throw something in quickly? Um, you'd obviously... You said you started supporting Chelsea in 1970. Yes. Um, obviously, you hadn't been supporting them for long enough to have developed the full Chelsea fan paranoia. <laughs> I'd been supporting since 1967. Oh, right. Uh, and so, with my three years of hard-won and bitter experience, I realised that, uh, of course, while Benetti's goalkeeping may have been not up to his usual high standards, it was, of course, Alf Ramsey's tactical mistakes in taking off was it who did he take off was it Murray Bobby Charlton, Bobby Charlton? Yeah, yeah saved him, you know, saved him for the proper semi. Chelsea fans proper Chelsea fans knew it was Alf Ramsey but of course no one could criticise Alf Ramsey no you know that, that was the sort of days when you have a Chelsea player in the England team so you can blame a Chelsea player that's where it, it came from <laughs> so yeah that's it's, it's worth remembering that yes, you know, the, little, and, and your, your dad was Lampard, buying your dad was buying into that unfortunately yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As, as Martin, I'll just say, Martin said, it was a bit like when Lampard was in the team, you know, it was, it was uh, that kind yeah. of thing, wasn't it? Because um, I remember Frank Lampard he used to be the butt of an awful lot because obviously he took the, you know, the media love of skulls, you know, the fact that Lampard always scored more goals. And, and Gerard. Yes, and a fantastic strike record, was a model footballer as well. And then. Well, of course, Lampard was at fault, you know, that. that yes. Shot. If he'd yes. taken that shot properly, yes. it would have gone right over the lines, you know, right into the back of the net. Yes, but the, the clown, what foot. did he do? He bashed it against the bar, so it just bounced only sort of two foot over the line. <laughs> you know, that's, that, that whole defeat there, that's entirely yeah. on what, him, of course. What, is it, what was it? You say Chelsea ruining football again. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I, I, I'm very... Really, very much looking for. It's good to have you back, Donor. I'm sorry you've missed sorry, out so much. Yeah, I, I did. I, I'm, I do apologise. I had terrible problems. Here. Yeah. Um, did anyone while you were talking? Because I kept diving in and out. Sorry to rehash, but when you were talking about the stadium and all that, obviously it costing far too much money, etc., etc. Did anyone mention about this business with Earl's Court? You know, they're having a relook at some of the the planning down there and the no, you know. Oh, yeah. There was something. I don't. I don't mean that it means the stadium is on or anything, but they are. They are re-looking at it in terms oh. of um, the. the, the what, what do you mean they're re-looking at it, Donald? I think Hammersmith and Fulham are, are, are talking to who are the people beginning with C. The uh, Capita, the isn't it? Yeah, the developers. They're. they're I, I Sid Celery put the article. Oh. up on Twitter um, it, it's something of nothing but it was just a bit of a straw in the wind you know it seemed a bit obviously there were other good reasons why the um, why the stadium got canned but 
just in the back of my mind, I wondered whether that was a straw in the wind that maybe, because I, I don't think, I think Roman has pretty much proved you can't redevelop Chelsea without putting the club into debt from yeah. that the end of time. Yeah, yeah. Which is what, what my point was, essentially, Donal. So I, I don't think it actually means anything for Chelsea, but, you know, it's just they are, you know... Well, that was that's one of the Earl's that was, court demolition and things yeah, like that. They're, they're that, now looking at what the plans for those those areas oh, right. were, Cause whether it's was, still viable. And things that like was that. the one I always thought was pretty acceptable to most Chelsea fans, being as it's like a ten minute walk from you know it's it's closer yeah. to the fin for a start, isn't it? The, the the bottom line is, I think that the the barometer was always if you could drink in the same pubs, it yes, was acceptable. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really intriguing. Um. Uh. I, any more on the World Cup, chaps? Uh, before yeah, I go into uh, yeah, if I may, um, I'm I am completely ne- neutral on the World Cup because my team is Ireland and we didn't yes. fucking qualify. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> well, um, I've, I've got my I've got my plastic Irish citizenship now with my passport, so I I, I now have a foot you, in both camps or or a fence up my ass, whichever way you look at it. You know, it's, it's, just, just call it just call it Nigel Lawson syndrome. Yes, oh, fuck, <laughs> don't you know, don't start me on that one, Martin. Please, <laughs> fuck sorry. It, Talking about uh, kind of neutrality, Tony, and, uh, and and kind of enjoying football for its own sake. One of my one of my greatest football memories was uh, in 1988 in uh, in the Martinez Hotel in Cannes. I was at the film festival. I was a very young boy, I think about 21. And uh, in the bar where one would retire to get absolutely wankered that <laughs> evening, and uh, this is an international festival, right? Yeah, socially relaxed, you mean, yeah. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> it was the final. It coincided with the final, uh, the European Championship final between Germany and Holland. Oh, right, and yeah. the whole... Yeah, the whole bar was full of Germans and, and Dutch people uh, watching this game. And, and I, I, I kind of joined in with this, and it was absolutely rammed. And it was just, it was mental. Because they hate each other, massively hate each other. And, of right, course, I... World War II, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And I naturally sided with the Dutch, obviously. Yes, yeah. Uh, you know, because you know, can't can't support the Germans. Come on, uh, but it was just the most one of the most amazing footballing spectacles I've ever been privy to. You know, uh, the the booze, the the yeah. intensity of it, the the you know the the vitriol in the room. It was just it was insane. You know, yeah. and and I think just to really kind of reemphasize my point is that you know you can you can sometimes you can it's you know sometimes it's okay to kind of just like football, yes, and and, and not have to be completely utterly you know involved in it in the partisan way that we all are yeah. obviously yeah mm. i think that's a really good point and my eye opener for that was probably the 98 world cup when my wife had booked me uh, and the kids you know on a on a, a, a holiday in june in france um uh, uh during the world cup she didn't know it was in the middle of the world cup i went there um and it was in a mobile home in a place called jard on the vendee and we Every day, every single day, the bar was full of Italians, Germans, Dutch, English, Irish, Scottish people. It was a cornucopia of mixed nations watching the games. And it was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. It was everything you would think uh, uh, that watching 
in that kind of, you know, the night Argentina broke English hearts, the Dutch were almost as inconsolable as us. And then a couple of days later, we watched them go out on penalties, I think, to Brazil, I think it was, or whoever, I can't remember who beat them now. Uh, you know, and, and we, would, we were putting our arms around the Dutch. You know, and they beat been... Argentina on the way, which helped. And yes. Bergkamp scored an yeah. absolute worldie. Which... Yeah, and it was just, yeah. it, I just remember, and I just remember a, a game, one of the games with Germany were involved, and I think everybody was, again, it might have been France versus Germany, um, uh, and this German guy came out to us and said, excuse me, why is it that you, none of you want Germany to win? And we were fucking rolling on the floor laughing, going, don't you think you've done enough damage over the years? Like, you know, but I think that's listening, the beauty. Listening to that accent, I, I'm, I'm walking down onto the Linden, even as you speak. It's just, <laughs> it's just taken me to the heart of Yes, indeed. Of Berlin. Indeed. Can I, can I, I just say that yes. I, I do, I do uh, share, uh, Mr. Chidri's, uh, Mr. Chidri's sentiments about, you know, football, watching football, you know, at times where you don't actually have a dog in the fight and just yeah. enjoying football on its own. But there was something in his, his tone of voice which did concern me. And it, it was, I don't think it would happen to a man, a man like you, but um, you have to be careful once you get into that sort of mode that you don't find yourself sort of lingering at the scarf stall and maybe just toying with a, a half and half scarf. <laughs> The only use for a half and half scarf is to hang people who buy them. <laughs> I felt that you were a man who wouldn't be easy, but there are others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our excuse less... is always that Marco's stall is next to the geese that sells the half and half scarf. Yeah. Yeah. He can't help that. Just because you're born in a stable doesn't make you a horse, Martin. As an Irishman, you should appreciate that. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. It, it but, you is... know, you, you must, we must maintain constant vigilance on ourselves that we don't find ourselves slipping down that road. Yeah. Where, you yeah, know, just so general think... enjoyment of football as a sport suddenly elides into a love no. of half-and-half half scarves and the like. Yes, exactly. It'll yeah. never happen. Yeah. No. It's got one final point on the World Cup, yes. and it's, it's, I think it's different for different for people of different ages, but there's like the, the first World Cup you remember. Yeah. And mine is 1994, the one in America. <laughs> Bloody uh, hell. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> three, of us, three of us have now got pretend pipes in our mouth going... You youngsters today. <laughs> I've just no, but, um, you made me laugh so much I've just broken my chair. <laughs> Don't put your back up. It's not a bath it's chair, though, is it? It's not a bath chair, is it? Why did you no, no, it's, it's an office-type chair. Oh, but I look yeah. back yeah. laughing so much the bloody thing just popped. Yeah, but the, the, the point before you all really started laughing was that um, I just realised to my horror that I remembered more about the 94 World Cup than I do the 2014 one. So it's really right, just yes. you know, the one yeah, where you yeah. come of age. You that's the one you remember. Maybe yes. that in '98 for me. Yeah. The only thing I remember clearly from 2014 is England being shit and yes. that um, Germany Brazil game where I was just kind of watching it just for the sake of watching it. And then you're going, oh my god, what yes. the hell is happening? And me being a bit selfish, we had like Oscar playing for Brazil. We think, oh my god, he's broken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it was. It, 
that that World Cup uh, goes back to that, that 1970 World Cup because because that was my baptism of World Cup. I remember vaguely the 66. I remember the celebrations, but I was five years old or whatever. And uh, everyone, oh, we won the cup, you know, running around as a kid game, we won the cup. I didn't know what cup we won or who even won it. But the 1971 with the were S-O you singing Eiadio when you did yes, it? yeah, I think we probably <laughs> were singing Eiadio. We won the cup. Um, but I remember the 70 World Cup because of that SO coin collection. One of the things that Tim Rolls and we've had conversations about, you know, the people who are old enough to remember that, which was a kind of iconic part of that whole thing. But that was, the, the of course, the introduction to football of, of Chelsea, 1970. Who can forget Wembley? Um, you know, the day after the Horse of the Year show where they were basically playing on a ploughed field. And then the replay at Old Trafford three days later, I think it was. You know, the first replay... Uh, maybe even ever, uh, whether it had ever been replayed before. And Chelsea winning with the David Webb windmill throw and all this sort of stuff. Um, and then going into the World Cup, this was, you know, how my heart didn't burst with excitement at the whole football thing. And then, and then, not only to be presented with a very, very good England team, but to have my eyes opened to the football that Brazil played in 1970. Can you just imagine, that, as a kid who's sitting there going, Jesus Christ, we might as well all pack up now, wouldn't we? Look at this lot, you know, and, and Pele and Jarzinho and Rivellino and names like that, Tostal, that, that still resonate with me. And the whole thing around that World Cup, Peru's kit. I remember Peru's kit. That's how vivid that first memory of that World Cup is. In terms of colour, was it a lot more vivid as well? Yeah, you yeah. see some of the official film and it's just really bright and all the games are in the daytime so it's yeah, yeah. a lot more yeah. bright and vivid I'm yeah. wondering if that on, maybe on, came on across the subject, on the subject of kit um, I think Morocco played in the 1970s you were talking about like collections of uh, coins and stuff and um, I uh, clearly remember collecting like cards uh, or stickers and lots of Moroccan players seemed to come out of the bubble gum packets I had and um can you still hear me? Yes, yes, yep. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I've got a funny cinema. And um, they had this sort of red with a, a green collar. And um, it was only like a couple of months later that I then started secondary school. And, of course, as I've mentioned previously, um, I went to a well-known North London footballing school, which, you know, Joe, uh, Joey Cole, I mean, Les Reed went to it, Joe Cole went to it, Gary Breen. I went to it, so of course some of the most eminent people in the football world have attended it. And um, when we went to the uh, uh, uniform shop, we got handed for our football shirt none other than a red shirt with a green collar. And so I became convinced that somehow I'd been, you know, handed uh, a sort of spare kit that Morocco had left behind yeah. in Germany when, when they. Um, and so, yeah from then on I felt like I was somehow attached to the Moroccans because I was wearing their colours most of the time it's intriguing isn't it because I again that it's what you remember the, the mad things you remember yes you know, it's the mad thing. things I remember yeah. it's being introduced to all these countries I never knew existed Peru mm. bloody hell you know and, and Romania when when it was spelled R-U-M Scot- Scot- Scotland Scotland yeah, yes indeed yes <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Right, I'm going to move it on now, chaps. I'm just going to do the outro. I think we've, we've, we, could, we could reminisce all night, and I think if we're going to do it, you should be doing it with um, large amounts of beer being bought to us so that we can just talk even more bollocks as we go on. Um, some parish notices. Um, 
Yes, and gin, obviously. Uh, um, please, uh, you know, if you do download this from iTunes, give us a rating. It, uh, I don't know what it does. It does something apparently very good, according to Nick, who who produces it for us in the end. Um, if you want to listen to any more of this stuff, um, go to just type podinshed.com into into Google, and you'll be um, you'll be presented with a very veritable cornucopia of episodes going all the way back to god only knows when this is episode 93 so uh, you work it out yourselves um uh, a quick plug for the chelsea supporters trust who we have the chair of uh, no less uh, in our company right now um well, in my join- case the broken chair Yes. Uh, <laughs> Sorry join, about that. Yes, yes. Join the trust. Get your voice heard by the club. It's a, it's a fiver to become a voting member. Uh, and you get a badge. Um, and I lost my badge, Chich. I'm expecting a new one because um, I renewed talk, last week or whatever. Yeah, I, know a man, I know a man who knows a man who knows who another knows, man yes, who can steal one for you. Yes, good. Um, or, it's fr- or it's free, um, but you'll be a non-voting member. Um, if you want to sign up, go to uh, chelseasupporterstrust.com. Uh, and then that way, if you paid £5, you can attend the meetings and go to the events and then vote on the issues that directly affect you. They also do a survey. Um, I don't know, is it once a year, Chid, or is it a couple of times a season? Um, but it's uh, the, the survey. Uh, survey uh, finished on May the 31st. Ramsey is working like a dog, putting it all together. And I think we'll start... Uh, well, we'll we usually announce preliminary findings for the AGM which will be in August, uh, I'm hoping, uh, the day... It, well, because we, I don't think we can have the AGM for the first weekend of the season, largely because I'm at Lords. Uh, but uh, don't don't tell anybody that. No. Uh, okay. so, the, so, so the second match of the season is Chelsea-Arsenal uh, at home, so I suspect the AGM will be the day that that is not, because, of course, that's probably going to be on a Sunday for Sky's purposes, isn't it? Yeah. But all will be revealed soon. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> if you want to follow the Chelsea Sports Trust on Twitter, um, their Twitter handle is at Chelsea S Trust. Okay, um, it's a worthy organisation, and you will get to meet some fabulous people, um, as I have done uh, 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 th- through it. Um, it. It's a really, really worthwhile uh, organisation, and it does have representation into the club, I believe, don't, doesn't it, Chid? You do get to meet the. Um, the, the people that count, apart from, of course, well, Raymond. But not to discuss football matters. Well, you know, yeah. obviously I take Raymond out to dinner frequently. Yes, yes. Uh, but I'm obviously, I have, a, I have a, an immersive blood oath not to reveal anything, uh, particularly <laughs> to the Chelsea, Chelsea fancast listeners. Yes. Uh, but no, I mean, we, we, we meet informally with various members of the club throughout the year. If a, if a big issue crops up like Barcelona or the Agro out there, you know, we, yeah. I've, I've got Bruce's email and I, I can ping him an email. And to be fair, they're generally very good and very responsive. But we have we have one or two formal meetings a year. The, the first one's usually in autumn after we've had the uh, the bout of elections that we have after the AGM in August. And we've got all the, the you know, the survey responses back. And then we, we go to them with a, a pretty hefty uh survey uh doc, you know you, you, if you remember you would have seen it but uh, yeah, there's about yeah. it's about a 30 page document report on on the survey results and we take that to the club predominantly to discuss the issues around that because basically all the issues around that are usually the issues that we want to talk to them about things like kickoff time safe standing ticket allocations loyalty points atmosphere you know usual kind of stuff so there yeah. we go yeah Okay, and, um, and, and like I said, very worthy as well. So, uh, the next pod in shed, well, it will be quite a few weeks away, um, not least of all, um, because the football fixtures came out today, and 
in a real typical stroke of unbelievable shite luck, I don't go on holiday until August the 18th, and that means I get to miss Arsenal, Bournemouth, and then I think I miss Manchester United because I'm in Ireland, and then I think I miss, uh, I can't remember, there's another game I missed somewhere, and possibly even Everton, because I'm going to see the Australian Pink Floyd that day, um, I'm hoping rather beyond hope that, uh, that that game gets shifted to the Sunday um, or else I won't be able to go out on the piss with my brother before going to see the Aussie Pink Floyd um, but uh, I will look to do a, a pod and shed post Community Shield and possibly pre-Huddersfield as a season preview and then we'll revert back to our monthly one um, after that. This has been an absolute pleasure so I just want to say goodnight to each and every one of you um, uh, and give you one last chance to say something pithy or whatever before go. So I'm going to go to you first Donal, as you've been the most um, well, un- unfortunate tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, wishing everyone a good summer. Yes, I, I will promise to sort out all my technical issues. I will be sourcing a small amount of uh, Serbian folk music for the new season so that we can welcome our new manager, Mr. Jakanovic, when he takes over. <laughs> And it will be a it will be a chance it will be a chance for me to test my theory. I've always said that we need a mad Balkan, yes. we need a mad Balkan to win anything. And yeah. I've always thought of that as as you know being a player. Um, I'd never really considered it uh, for a manager, but we shall be find we shall be finding out in due course. And and I very much look forward to that. Intriguing and stuff. Can yeah. I just say um, one other thing? Uh, Kaiser Johnny Johnny Dyer, who yes. obviously was the uh, founding chairman of the uh, Podding Shed. He's doing, he's somehow being squeezed into some lycra. And um, <laughs> if you don't want the sight of him on the roads in that sort of thing anymore, uh, you can sponsor him on this bike ride and he's promising never to do lycra again. Uh, and he's raising money for Great Ormond Street. So if you go to his Twitter um it's Johnny Dyer. Was he Kaiser Johnny or whatever? At Kaiser Johnny, and I, I will, I will tweet the uh, the URL um, yeah. and and um, and his Twitter handle after after this, so that it goes out there, so that everybody can see it. Just just have a look at my Twitter feed. It's a very worthy cause, yeah. uh, of course. And uh, Johnny Dyer, for those who don't know him, is is the spitting image of Jurgen Klopp. Um, so if you want to know what Jurgen Klopp would look like in Lycra, then then please donate. Yeah. Okay, yes. um, stand be, uh, on the road between here and Brighton, and you'll see him go by. Yes, indeed. Um, Chidge, anything from you, mate? Uh, yeah, I'd just like to do a uh, Mystic Chidge prediction here on the World Cup uh, because uh, many years ago in 1986, uh, I actually missed. Uh, England being knocked out by Diego Maradona's Hand of God goal and the other one that was rather good. Because I was sitting in a field in Glastonbury. uh, (laughs) Come on, I'm not away for this. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, basically, I I think the Cure cure played on the the (sighs) Saturday. I can't remember, but uh, the Cure were definitely there. Whether it coincided with the game or not, I very much doubt, but my memory of these events is somewhat uh, smoke-filled and hazy. Uh, anyway, as, as, as the weird god of fates dictates, uh, on uh, July the 7th, which is one of the days of the quarterfinals, uh, I, will be, I will be watching The Cure in a less muddy field, hopefully, in Hyde Park. 
So yeah. I'm absolutely positive that because of that, England will make the quarterfinals, and they'll probably be playing Germany, and uh, we'll get knocked out unluckily because the ball will ricochet off uh, Ozil's cock and go into the into the net. <laughs> or and if forever after, forever after, the goal will be called the the uh, the cock of God goal. Yes, and England will go home. England will go home somewhat flaccid. <laughs> Follow that, Martin Wickham. Goodness me! Um, I've lost to um, lost the thread there. Um, just going back to the fixtures, one that have come out, and you know, for all our moaning about, you know, the arrangement of fixtures, you know, the inconvenience. I'd like to personally thank whoever has um, put Chelsea at Newcastle away on the August Bank Holiday weekend. Um, I will be probably cursing you on Tuesday when my liver and bank balance have gone 12 <laughs> rounds with Mike Tyson, but I'm going to enjoy the weekend nonetheless. So thank you very much for that. It is fair compensation for having to go to a midweek game in December against fucking Wolves. Oh, mm. no, I've missed that. Oh, damn. Yeah, damn. That's, that's, a, yes, that, that's well, a tough one. Uh, uh, my complaint about the fixtures is somewhat tempered by the fact that... Uh, for the first time in what must be six or seven years, we are not at home on Boxing Day. So there's no trouble getting up there on trains and all this sort of stuff. We are actually away on Boxing Day, which means for the first time in many, many years, I will be able to get shit-faced on Christmas Day um, <laughs> rather than be sitting there with people saying, it's my turn to drive tomorrow and I've got to go to football. Okay, watching everybody else get off their tits. Okay, so this year... It's my turn, so I'm quite happy about that. Um, thank you very much indeed, chaps. This has been a, a proper bumper edition. Uh, I hadn't intended it to go on for quite as long. I think I made promises that we try and knock it out in an hour. But when you get such erudite and um, uh, intelligent and uh, interesting conversation, it's very hard to put a cap on it. And, and I figured that if either any of you um, were uh, bored or... Uh, starting to, to hate it, then you would have um, probably buggered off by now. So I really appreciate your time. Have a fantastic summer. Hopefully, I will get to see you, Chidge, at some point before the summer, even if I am on crutches or something like that, and we can get a beer in together. That would be lovely. I'd love that. Um, I'd love that. Uh, I, 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 the operation's next week. I've got two weeks to so four weeks in a surgical boot. So uh, once I'm in the boot, I'm able to um, walk around on crutches and load bear or whatever. Um, and I don't go on holiday till the 18th of August. Uh, so there may be an opportunity somewhere in there, maybe if uh, True Blue Terry or something was to get together in Winchester or something, and we can just Lovely. get my mate, missus to deposit me in a pub, and then I'll hobble round all the pubs with you, and she can pick me up or something. That'd oh well, we we could just, just we could we could just go to one, mate, if you yes. make it easier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really much. As long as the beer's there and it's good, it, I, yeah. I will thoroughly enjoy it. Um, uh, so um, I'd like to say thank you very much, everybody. Um, good night. Have a great season. Uh, a great close season, sorry. Enjoy the World Cup and um, see you next year. Cheers, everybody. Yep. Take care. Cheers, Tony. All the best. Cheers, man. mate.